Hello, hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode we interview a healthcare professional, it's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Kayleen McMickle, who is a licensed professional counselor. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession, asking questions you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board-certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers, and I recently finished a three-year gratitude journal, so I'm pretty grateful about that. Uh I'm grateful for your accomplishment. (laughs) Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Not necessarily one that like takes you off guard today. I I decided to take it easy on you, Sarah. Yeah, I'll stick. I'll stick in theme with that with this next one. (laughs) I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. That was mean, but that's how I spoke. I'm straight cis white woman, and my pronouns are she/her. And I, uh, my private practice is celebrating its first birthday this week. That's exciting. I know I was reflecting. Thank you. I was reflecting back on the emotions that I was feeling this time last year. And it was like, you know, excitement, terror, anxiety, whatever emotions come with recovery of leaving, leaving terrible place. Um, Yeah. Anxiety, all all the, all the fun, fun, colorful, intense feelings. Um, I guess mine is right around the corner then too. Mm-hmm. probably I don't yeah, know we had a lot I, of like... difficult talks this time yeah. last year <laughs> I remember having to go walk. get a mailbox and I had to make a letterhead and I was like I don't know how to do that Joanna <laughs> we were texting about this, this recently but I was so like I made my letterhead just to have it for the practice and it had like the lobster font <laughs> just said teletherapy with Sarah and then I had to send a letter to to one of my clients needed something uh, a letter to the VA and I was like I'm gonna change this font <laughs> I'm not gonna have it be lobster <laughs> I changed love it that lobster Georgia. font though oh yeah it's, you're going to change like cute. magnolia it's like a little I could I could like have a you could have like a less federal level one <laughs> <laughs> can can people in the government write back in lobster font no, like if, if, if you want to know what lobster font is, it is the font that we use for our social media <laughs> posts. So. Love that lobster, though. Um, yeah, so it's very, it's very, it's very frilly and it's maybe like not chunky. suitable for. It's nice. Yeah. It's very cozy. Yeah. What is the font of like the like the bridal showers what's that font it's on someone gave me a mug with misses on it for my bridal like the long my... script that's like yeah, yeah. it's like brunchy yeah, yeah. I, mean... I don't know what it's called <laughs> probably brunch it's also funny our theme song is also called brunch um yeah <laughs> like yeah yeah and i 
announced last year that I was boycotting brunch. I know, and I remember. You and I immediately went to brunch with someone. I feel like that was late breakfast, early lunch. No, it also was lunch. As brunch. <laughs> I feel like it was lunch. We had pickles. I, right? We don't have enough meals. We're not hobbits. Like, <laughs> there's not, we don't need to. It was brunch. I, yeah. I went back on my values. <laughs> Oh, but we, what did we, I got like cinnamon bun French toast. Yeah, that was great. Oh, but didn't we eat pickles though? Oh, that brunch. Sorry. I'm thinking of, (laughs) I can't even. (laughs) No, we went to, we went to Nudie's Cafe, which is Eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah. Eastern PA, Philadelphia area, staple Nudie's. I think I got like French toast, apple cake. This is apple cake with batter and yeah flour Fried. sugar yeah it already has flour sugar in it and then it's you, just got you, more was good oh i heard battered and i was like are you listing the ingredients sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh it feels like monday morning today honestly Tuesday morning and it doesn't i don't know yesterday about I fonts said- we are. I, yesterday was Valentine's Day and we don't really celebrate it, which is indicative of this story. <laughs> I said to my <laughs> husband at 8 p.m., oh, happy Valentine's Day. And he said, oh, I thought it was the 13th today. <laughs> like neither of us <laughs> know what's going on. I made the mistake once of going out for dinner on Valentine's Day um, and it was so bad. Uh, like things were cold. And I like hated that when that ha- I hate that when that happens, like sending things back is so, but like, it was like ice cold. I was like, I'm so sorry, please. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. That, that's why I never want to go to brunch again because Valentine's day and everyone listening, remember this, never go out on mother's day, never go out on Valentine's day. Mm-mm. Your server wants to die. <laughs> do not, do not do that to them. Don't contribute. They, <laughs> There's got your you can be a same side of the table seater, that's fine, but maybe go on the 15th. Maybe yeah. go on the 13th. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Val- happy February 15th. <laughs> I I uh I celebrated by having a 45-minute ultrasound, which was exciting. <laughs> um, but speaking of my ability to apologize, I started fainting and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm starting to get really hot and I think I'm about to faint. Um, but I just like started with, I'm so sorry to inconvenience you with the fact that I'm going to black out. Yeah. Well, I want to highlight the strength there. I mean, congrats on the ultrasound. Thank you. Everything and looks good. Congrats on appointments. I, it's so cool that you were able to use like coping mechanisms to calmly communicate what was going on with your body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sorry's happen, but that's so exciting when you can just kind of let people know what's happening in your bodies. Yeah. I guess it's happened enough for me that I know exactly what the, the last time it happened is when my dog had surgery <laughs> and I looked and I look, I, I don't like medical things. <laughs> And so I looked at her and I was like, "Uh oh, and I said to the nurse, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm about to faint. Can you go get me something for this, please? (laughs) Just going to sit on the floor. It was outside too, because it was like April. So I I was, they were like, get back in the car. Don't look at your dog. (laughs) And they brought me Gatorade and (laughs) spray. (laughs) Very nice. It was really nice. Yeah. That was that is nice. Yeah, the first time I went to the vet when they actually let me in, I was like, oh, I kind of want to stay in my car still. <laughs> okay, I'll come in. Fine. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, very cool. Anyway, that's exciting. Yeah. How how are your floors? Um, oh, I don't recall. I'm assuming they're fine. I keep a list and nothing's on my list, so that's good. Yeah. Can I make an exciting announcement? Absolutely. So I launched this week, which I guess as you listen is three weeks ago. I launched my the coaching version of my private practice, Yay! helping exploited therapists. And I was very excited to do it. And then I received that last night a text from my former boss. <laughs> it wasn't about that, but I was really scared. And then I was really like, okay, I have nothing to be scared of. But if you read info about it and if you listen to any previous episodes, you'll understand that Joanna and I advocate heavily for the liberation of therapists who live a kind of life that they enjoy and not do more than they have to or than they can. So um, check out that info. Cool. What's the name of it? <laughs> it's still under Teletherapy with Sarah and it's coaching Beautiful. for exploited therapists. I love it. That's so exciting. Thanks. Yeah, it's cool. Yay, go Sarah. Da, 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 da. But yeah, no floors. That's my housekeeping. Right. Cool. Um, well, uh, let's take a break. And uh, after we come back, we'll start with our lesson for today. Bye. Bye. it's time for our lesson. The lesson or history lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. Sources for today include med.stanford.edu, an article entitled Mad World, Robert Burton's The Anatomy of Melancholy by Michael Edwards, and a new player on the field, Uh miriamwebster.com. MiriamWebster.com. Thanks, Miriam. True. Thank you, Webster. You're always coming in second. Nope. I didn't know there was a hyphen. So welcome, hyphen. Trigger warning for today. None. Enjoy mm-hmm. this lesson with, without triggers. Um, unless OCD is the trigger. Trigger warning OCD. Yes. OCD throughout history. In the 17th century, obsessions and compulsions were often described as symptoms of religious melancholy, which as we've covered before is typically defined in the medical literature as a form of delirium characterized by the impairment of patients' mental faculties combined with a telltale absence of fever and accompanied by the passions of fear and sorrow. So essentially you're acting like you have a fever, but you don't have a fever. The Oxford Don or lecturer Robert Burton reported a case Quote, if he be in a silent auditory as at a sermon, he is afraid he shall speak aloud, unaware, something indecent, unfit to be said, end quote. So he's describing this client that feels that he's going to shout something out and mm. is terrified he's going to shout something out. Um, I feel that regularly when I'm in quiet rooms, not compulsively, but I definitely feel that pull. In 1660, Jeremy Taylor, Bishop of Don and Connor, Ireland, 
was referring to obsessional doubting when he wrote of scruples, which he defines as trouble where the trouble is over <laughs> and doubt when doubts are resolved. That's so mean. I... <laughs> so mean. <sighs> it's like okay. the equivalent of like, get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, you have nothing to be worried about. Okay, well, tell my amygdala Jeremy, that. Taylor, yeah. Get out of here. Go back to Don and Connor one place. Okay. Probably. In his 1691 sermon on religious melancholy, John Moore, Bishop of Norwich, England, referred to individuals obsessed by, quote, naughty and sometimes blasphemous thoughts, mm-hmm. which start in their minds while they are exercised in the worship of God, despite all their endeavors to stifle and suppress them. The more they struggle with them, the more they increase. I know that game. Modern concepts of OCD began to evolve in the 19th century when faulty psychology phrenology, which is the study of the confirmation and contours of the skull based on the former belief that they are indicative of mental faculties and character, and mesmerism, which is akin to hypnotism, were popular theories and when, quote, neurosis implied a neuropathological condition. Similar to today, psychiatrists then struggling to understand the mentally ill were influenced by intellectual trends coursing through philosophy, physiology, physics, chemistry, and political thought. Obsessions in which insight was skewed were gradually distinguished from delusions in which it was not. Compulsions were distinguished from impulsions, which included various forms of paroxysmal, stereotyped, and irresistible behavior. Influential psychiatrists disagreed about whether the source of OCD lay in the disorders of the will, the emotions, or the intellect. In his 1838 psychiatric textbook, Escarole, who lived from 1772 to 1840, described OCD as a form of monomania or partial insanity. He fluctuated between attributing OCD to disordered intellect and disordered will. French psychiatrists abandoned the concept of monomania in the 1850s, establishing conditions we now identify as phobias, panic disorder, and agoraphobia, and hypochondriasis. Certain classification schemes also included sexual perversions, manic behavior, and even some forms of epilepsy. Dagonet, from 1823 to 1902, for example, considered compulsions to be a kind of impulsion, and OCD a form of foile impulsive, or impulsive insanity. In this illness, <laughs> impulsions violent, uh, irresistibly, overcame the will and ma- became manifest in obsessions or compulsions. I do not speak French. Morel, uh, thank you. 1809 to 1873 placed OCD within the category Delaray emotif, diseases of the emotions, in which he believed originated from the pathology affecting the autonomic nervous system. He felt that attempts to explain obsessions and compulsions as arising from a disorder of intellect did not account for the accompanying anxiety. Magnan, uh, from eight, who lived from 1835 to 1916, considered OCD a foie de denigeries, a, a psychosis of degeneration, indicating cerebral pathology due to defective heredity. I didn't give you the French paragraph on purpose, but I'm kind of glad I did. <laughs> Good luck on the German one. You did a great job. Uh, I before E is pronounced like E. I got it. That's mm-hmm. that's okay. While the emotive and volatile views held sway in France, German psychiatry regarded OCD among, along with paranoia as a disorder of intellect. I hate hearing that. 
1868, Guy Sanger published three cases of OCD, which he termed hmm, Gubelstunkt, a ruminatory or questioning illness from the old German Grubenbell, racking one's brains. Oh, that's a that's a fun origin, racking one's yeah. brains. Grubelstunkt. Thank you. In 1877, <laughs> Westphal ascribed obsessions to disordered intellectual function. Westphal's use of the of the term. Okay, so this term is you defined as. Can we say it? No, I got. No, I'm going to okay. do it. This term is defined as compelled presentation or idea. Uh, no, go ahead, say that. <laughs> it's Fangsvorstellung. Defined as compelled presentation <laughs> or idea gave rise to our current terminology since the concept of, quote, presentation encompassed both mental experiences and actions. In Great Britain, Angstvorstellung was translated as obsession, while in the United States it became, quote, compulsion. The term obsessive compulsive disorder emerged as a compromise. That's, you know, one thing that the U.S. and Great Britain are always doing is compromising. <laughs> in the last quarter of the 19th century, the diagnostic category of neurasthenia, um, inadequate tonus of the nervous system, engulfed OCD along with numerous other disorders. As the 20th century opened, both Pierre Genet, 1859 to 1947, and Sigmund Freud, 1856 to 1939, isolated OCD from neurasthenia. In his highly regarded work, Les Obsessions, <laughs> It, oh, it's longer than that. <laughs> Le obsession et la sacienti, or obsessions and mm, psychothenia. Genet proposed that obsessions and compulsions arise in the third stage of psychothenic illness. Because the individual lacks sufficient psychological tension, which is a form of nervous energy, to complete higher level mental activities like focusing and having long-winded attention. Long-winded attention. <laughs> Nervous energy is diverted into and activates more primi primitive psychological operations that include obsessions and compulsions. Ah. Hmm. Hmm. Freud, uh, Freud gradually evolved a conceptualization of OCD that influenced and then drew upon his ideas of mental structure, mental energies, and defense mechanisms. In Freud's view, the patient's mind responded maladaptively to conflicts between unacceptable, unconscious, sexual, or aggressive id impulses and the demands of, conscious, of conscience and reality. It regressed to concerns with control and to modes of thinking characteristic of the anal sadistic stage of psychosexual development, ambivalence, which produced doubting and magical thinking, which produced superstition and compulsive acts. The ego marshaled certain defenses, intellectualization and isolation, warding off the effects associated with the unacceptable ideas and impulses, undoing, which is carrying out compulsions to neutralize the offending ideas and impulses, and reaction formation, which is adopting character traits exactly opposite to the feared impulses. The imperfect success of these defenses gave rise to OCD symptoms, anxiety, preoccupation with dirt or germs or moral questions, and fears of acting on unacceptable impulses. As the 21st century progresses, advances in pharmacology, neuroanatomy, neurophysiology, and learning theory have allowed us to reach a more therapeutically useful conceptualization of OCD. Although the causes of the disorder still elude us, the recent identification of children with OCD caused by an autoimmune response to group A beta 
hemolict streptococcal infec infection promises to bring increased understanding of the disorder's pathogenesis. What a sentence to end on. Yeah. What a, did a very what good a, job. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. What a, a mouthful of a history lesson overall. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned uh, as we bring on our interviewee for today. Kaylee McMickle is a licensed professional counselor and owner of Inner Ascent Counseling in Rice Lake, Wisconsin. She has eight years of experience working in the mental health field, six of those being post-grad. Her first clinical setting following graduation was in a trauma-based day treatment program for adolescents leading group therapy. She now specializes in anxiety with certification as a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional and trauma, and is passionate about working with many working with many of the ways anxiety and shame manifest for people, including PTSD, OCD, perfectionism, panic, and stress. She loves making time for her amazing 14-year-old daughter, connecting with friends and family, quiet early morning coffee, oh, sometimes a good Netflix binge or a video game, yes, and frisbee golf when nature thaws. Welcome, Kayleen. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. What is the temperature today there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if you don't want to say it's okay. <laughs> maybe one degree. I don't. Uh, yeah. Maybe <sighs> now that it's been, you know, a couple hours since I've been at my office, but it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Where are you guys? We're in uh, Southeast, South, Eastern Pennsylvania. We're in Philly. Okay. No, I don't know. Okay. What it is was, the weather like there? It was like uh, so it was, 55 degrees yeah. on Saturday. Oh, and then the it next was day. Nine degrees oh, this yeah. morning. Yes. It was nine degrees nine? this morning and now it's 25 outside. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, like Joanna said, we, you know, 55, 60, and then. Yeah, I was like running around with like a sweatshirt on. I had a window then, open. Yeah. Yep. That sounds amazing i love window yeah. open weather it's like during the summer or spring and fall i always have my windows open i will have them open until it's like 45 degrees and then people tell me i, I need to shut my windows but <laughs> have you ever pushed past like when people were saying you need to shut your windows were you like i'll see how long i can go <laughs> Yeah. And part of that is like a little bit of a stubborn thing. Like, don't tell me when to shut my window. <laughs> I'll know. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. I love a good window opening. And then when a car drives by and hits a pothole, I'm like, up. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Close the windows, um, 70 degrees, put the AC on. Yeah. There's yeah, like that's... a dog bark. Yeah. This morning there was some, there were firefighters with a ladder outside. I don't know. They didn't mm. seem to be in any rush. I don't, I don't know. I didn't hear sirens. They were just cl like clanging a ladder outside <laughs> while I was sleeping. Um, oh, there arose nice. such a clutter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hope every, I'm pretty sure everything's okay, but yeah. Yeah. There was a, I mean, this is like a bummer. There was a really bad car accident down the block from us this morning. Um, Sorry. So yeah, lots of cool noises. <laughs> to start the day off with but yes back back to this um 
one degree out. That's not, that's not great. I, we have interviewed someone else from Wisconsin and she talks about, first of all, I didn't know that it could be so cold out that you couldn't like start your vehicle. I didn't know that you had to, mm-hmm. you could like use another implement to warm it to the point where yep. it could start. And that blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The Midwest, um, well, Northern Midwest, I guess, things that we have here. The rest of the yeah, world doesn't know. Yeah. You're in this tundra. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does it rain a lot? Oh, well, in spring. Yeah. Fall too. Yeah. Okay. Weirdly enough, yeah. we had rain like midwinter. It just, it decided to warm up enough to have rain at night nonetheless. So who knows? Oh, sounds like Pennsylvania. <laughs> Yeah, and then it's like, oh, guess Sounds what? Like that rain nonsense. is now ice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Try stepping out on your step this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, is your face hurt from standing? Let me bring some wind. And Yeah. Oh, it's always windy here. It can never be like a nice day. It's just like, oh, we have sun, but also here's some crazy like Wizard of Oz wind. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Anyway. <laughs> well, Kaylee, anyway. <laughs> the weather aside, tell us a little bit about the work that you do. So I work with mainly anxiety because that's my specialty and people see that on my, my website and stuff, but I work with OCD. I work with PTSD. I love working with perfectionism too. And Shame is something that I think no matter who I work with always comes up because we're just in a society that stigmatizes anything that doesn't seem normal. I'm air quoting that normal. Mm-hmm. And um, so I work a lot with shame too, but uh, yeah, that's my, my main clientele and they're great. That's great. Yeah. It's shame comes up so much in my personal therapy and in the work that I do with clients Mm. and you're it's it's it is pretty uh interesting and sad just how pervasive it is simply because of the values Mm. like kind of backwards values that our culture holds um yeah yeah. that really like lights a fire underneath me to help change I know I can't do it on my own but just seeing it I mean it was really stressed in our grad program the societal stuff that we are going to come up against and have come up against. And it's just something I'm really passionate about fighting. So, and then just to see it happen, I mean, for myself too, but for other people, and I'm kind of like, when it comes to my clients, I get mama bear about how society treats people. And I'm just like, I I'm, there's no way I'm not going to do something about this or put stuff out there about this or fight this. So yeah, it's hard to see. Thank you for being protective of your clients. Thank you for being caring enough. I mean, when there's shame like that, there's, you know, there's likely also not a lot of adults coming around and saying, Hey, this is okay. This is not your fault that the world is like this. Um, Right. Exactly. mm -hmm. Yeah. We see that a lot here too, because it's a really rural area and a lot of conservative ideas and antiquated type of um, ideas that people hold. So 
we come across it a lot. It's harder to, to fight it because it's just so prevalent, but it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like you're so very internalized. needed. Yeah. Very yeah. what? It sounds like you're very needed. Oh, yeah. We need, we need more therapists here, but yeah. Ugh. How has the pandemic affected your job day to day? Um, well, in the beginning, it was all telehealth, which I really enjoyed. I was like, yay, I can work from home. And I actually wasn't working as like in, in my private practice, I was in the group therapy day treatment position. And that's when I had had more time to think about what I really want to do. So it kind of helped me in that way, but, um, day to day, I'd say like a lot of, I just noticed how much anxiety has become more prevalent for people and how that has seeped into a lot of the conversations that I have. And I don't think people have like the ability to ignore what bothers them as much anymore, because there's just so much going on around us. There's, I mean, no matter where you turn, there's something that people are facing. So it's, yeah, it's pretty tough. Yeah. I decided to look at the news yesterday and I was like, Oh, there goes my calmness. Yeah. And we just have so, so much easy access to everything. So it's like, it's so easy to go on Facebook after work and just like scroll randomly. And then it's not, it takes a while sometimes, even as a counselor to be like, Oh, okay. I've been scrolling for like 20 minutes. What am I doing? Do I want to do this? Is this like healthy for me to do right now? How is this um, experience shaping my night? So I can see how for people, you can just get lost in that. And I'd imagine with the pandemic that because there's kind of like a forced slowness on life, you know, like especially early on that those anxieties probably come up to the surface more than usual because we're not in our regular patterns of going to work, coming home, you know, going out with friends. It's like, no, now you're just sitting here with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the structure is so different. And even after two years, it's almost been two years, we're mm-hmm. still, oh my God. it just feels like we're always adjusting, always something new is coming up and there's no resolution for the uncertainties that we have. It just continues. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's sometimes hard for me to remember that we are living in a very challenging time. And I don't even just mean the past two years. I mean, the last, Mm -hmm. the last like 15 years have been very hard on us culturally, and we haven't responded well to it because we've continued to become, you know, more individualized instead of really coming together. Um, So my long-winded question is, how do you think that manifests for, you know, these teens that you work with, that they are, growing up in this culture that is deprived of a lot of that kind of like ground level stability. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think about this when people have these stereotypes about millennials or like 
the newer generations about being entitled and not working or whatever. And I'm, I always think, well, why isn't anyone asking why that is? That's been created. So there's something about our culture, about our environment that has created, you know, higher stress levels. There, the world is not the same as it was in the 90s, definitely not the same as it was in the 60s. So the, these different generations that kind of look down on like newer generations and how they're coping, it's just so um, absent of context and curiosity. And I think they're under so much pressure. No, I mean, we've had pandemics before, but we, this is the first time we've had to live through a pandemic. Like our kids are living through pandemics. We've been through like political warfare. We've, I mean, 9-11, it's just all of this, all the stuff that people are going through is so heavy. I can't imagine mm-hmm. being a teen in this world. Oh, And I actually think they're, they are hard workers. They are, they do have motivation but they also have a lot of anxiety (laughs) like this is when it's clearly I mean a mental health pandemic yeah there's something bigger going on absolutely I'm so glad you said that about the generation being like they are you know they're working hard but I mean even beyond that they are remarkably kind and want to learn and they are just they are like mm-hmm. protecting each other I mean obviously you have like individual issues going on but like culturally speaking it seems like they're coming up for each other mm-hmm. um and I could like talk for Joanna knows I could vent for three hours about how millennials have just been like shafted but Gen Z <laughs> is remarkable and they're so smart and they're they so are. They, they are trying so hard. And I love, I love that they are, because millennials didn't get this as much, the ability to just like look at older generations and be like, lay off. Like, I, or I don't even hear you. Gen Z, they seem like they are able to just like tune it out. And it's, I'm so impressed and so excited for them to become adults. But also I'm very sad for them yeah. because obviously they are having to survive through a world that's very unkind to them. Yeah. I mean, I second that. I'm so proud of who these people are and how they're like really claiming their identities and claiming what they believe is right in the world. And I'm glad that we have them. (laughs) I think they're doing some great things for our world, whether or not people see that or believe that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you heard it here first, Gen Z. (laughs) Go you. Millennials love you. (laughs) (laughs) You I just can't imagine being so cognizant of like what's going on as far as like the world. I mean, I'm thinking when I was a teen, I wasn't as like tuned in with like political things that were happening, but, but it seems like it's just so in the front of everything and, and like hearing all this stuff and like having no voice or like, like really having to like fight for that voice and like really having to fight for the power to like you know interact in that way it's so tough mm-hmm. yeah they're they're a brave group of folks yeah 
so switching gears a little bit i'm always about switching gears um <laughs> what's is, the noise that a bike makes when you switch? <laughs> i don't even remember anymore uh anyway i have an automatic bike <laughs> <laughs> i just don't ride bikes anymore because <laughs> i'm i'm too anxious to ride them in the road so um <laughs> Because of cars. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Kayleen, tell us about how your personality is reflected in the work that you do. Um, well, my I use a lot of uh, humor in my sessions when it's uh, obviously timed right, and I I'm really genuine, meaning like. <laughs> I love the way that my professor puts this. He's, I actually consult with him. He's the program director from the grad program that I graduated from. He says, you can be genuine and be an asshole and you can be genuine and be unconditional and have unconditional positive regard. And I, I lay on that side, you know? So like, I truly understand the people that I'm with or to, to the point that I can, I guess. And my reactions to them are genuine. I just, I'm just me. I think it can be really easy as counselors. And this kind of, this is kind of what I was thinking about when you were talking about um, the exploitative coaching that you do. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we're taught to be so professional. I think sometimes to a fault or we're expected to be professional in ways that like take away from who we are or we're portrayed in movies as being like (laughs) emotionless robots and I just really enjoy like putting a thought out there that's just fresh out out of my brain or as long as it's of course like helpful and effective and sometimes I maybe I think about my cats for two seconds and I don't share that but <laughs> like <laughs> I just love being myself and I'm still professional according to the people I work with so um and also my my values I, I think I bring my values into my work and that comes through in like when I hear people talk about shooting themselves or when I hear people talk about like all the crappy societal messages that come through and get to live in our sessions, I, that's where part of my personality comes in too. It's like, I'm not okay with that living in our sessions and we're going to break that down. Yeah, I feel like we have a very similar niche and I feel like humor is super helpful with anxiety and also that authenticity because like anxiety is so much almost like in in that person's head that it's Mm -hmm. like just to be like, I am a real human being like meeting with you at this level and like that's all we have to do for right now. Yeah, it's like so helpful. Mm -hmm. I love humor. I, I also love the idea of you just uninviting uh, really harmful, not mindsets, but like tendencies in your session and not in a way like you're rejecting them or shaming them, but like identifying it like, hi, you see that this is here, right? <laughs> you see that this yeah. is causing distress. So I'm telling you, this doesn't need to be here. And we're going to learn how to not make it be here. It's just, mm-hmm. it's such a kind thing to do for people. I love that. Aww. 
yeah, mm-hmm. it's sometimes I use humor in that too. Like not you're ridiculous, but this thought's kind of ridiculous. Like you, you think that you should feel bad about feeling bad. No, (laughs) you've learned that somewhere and that's not, you didn't choose that. Like you don't choose your responses. You didn't choose to feel unworthy in the world or feel this large amount of shame. Like you're allowed to struggle without um, someone called it once doubling down on shame. I like Like that. that. Yeah. Well, it, it can feel dangerous to reject it, right? Because shame is there. It's keeping us safe. It's keeping us, you know, from not uh, treading too far off the line. So if we are to reject shame, what kind of mistakes are we going to make? Which is, I mean, you're, it's like self-gaslighting, obviously, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the rejection of shame can feel very threatening. Mm-hmm. And like how ingrained it is in ourselves. Like I, one thing I'm always saying is like, this is going to be a hard thing to turn around because like you've lived your whole life with this, you know, like this is Mm -hmm. like, how long have we been talking only, you know, four months. This is, you know, like how long have you been thinking this way? Oh, 30 years. Okay. So like, this is going to, you know, it's going to take a little bit. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think that ties in very well with Kayleen, this, like what you had said in the beginning, like, you know, I'm scrolling on my phone. Is this good for me? Should I, should I be doing this? And then there, there even comes shame there when we're drawing boundaries for ourselves. We're like, Oh, I know this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's so much room for self-compassion there. There's so much room to come in and be like, Oh man, you know what? I've been, I've been swindled again. It's okay. Let's just take a step back now. (laughs) And I'm going to give myself Mm -hmm. like some forgiveness for being a human, human being. And it's all right. Yeah. And sometimes I come at it with just a curious, like, okay, how, how did that happen? (laughs) Not in like a shamey way, but just how did I get so sucked in? Hmm. Must be really great way that they set up Facebook or Instagram or TikTok to Mm -hmm. just soak our brains in this ability to just like mindlessly scroll they have it set up well yeah I tell you what like yeah Facebook knows I'm pregnant and they (laughs) it's like only pictures of cake honestly (laughs) I've never subscribed to anything that involves cake it's just like oh that's wild this picture of cake oh look at this person making a cake like (sighs) I I Joan I think I told you this but when I before I upgraded Hulu because I was feeling violated. But all the commercials, (laughs) I said to my husband, wow, you know, these like LGBT couples, these like, like mixed race couples, these biracial couples, these like racially ambiguous people, this is the most inclusive set of commercials I've ever seen. And I love it. And he was like, you know, that not everybody's seeing these, right? You know, that (laughs) because you talk like that all the time that it's showing you all these people and... So immediate like distrust. I was like, this is disgusting. I'm going to put five more dollars a month to be without commercials. <laughs> oh. oh, very cool. So, so, so that sounds like a very challenging part about what you do, but what do you, what do you love? What is there just this unconditional love for? 
Um, well, I definitely love the depth of our field. Hence why I could never just be like, I, I don't even know names of other professions, <laughs> but like, but I just love the depth of our field, like how we can just unpack really anything that we find is worth unpacking or that they find is worth unpacking. And then getting to see the change happen is really the best. Sometimes that takes a while. Sometimes it's quicker than you expected, but seeing that happen either in session, which is really common with like OCD or phobias, working with phobias and doing exposure work, I can see the change literally happen in or during an exposure. So that's really awesome. Or just after like eight or 10 sessions, they come back and they, they're telling me about these changes they're making and they're just feeling better in their lives. Their relationships are maybe better. They're not feeling as much anxiety or they're dealing with it differently is so rewarding. So amazing. Yeah. I, I think there, I don't need that reward to stay in this field because I'm just passionate about it regardless, but I love hearing about that. Great. Well, what actually is, brought you to That's incredible. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what actually brought you to this field? Why are you doing what you're doing besides, instead of all the other professions that Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, well, I've done like other things and I just kind of knew I, I cannot do work that doesn't have some kind of depth to it. I was first thinking about like, well, maybe I want to be a lawyer and like fight for people. And then I was like, no, I'm too introverted to like go up and make some big, I don't know, statement or whatever they do. Um, and then I wanted to go for psychiatry and I was like, no, that's not right. And then I came upon this field and I actually had the, the first class that I had in this field of, well, it was actually a psychology class was the class where you learn about all the different disorders in undergrad. I don't know if everyone has that class, but I did. And I was just like always at the edge of my seat. So curious. I was like, this is, I know this is exactly where I need to be. And it felt like home to me. Um, I think there might be a genetic component or like a family related component because my mom has her master's in psychology and she's really interested in like, she talks about Gestalt and stuff. She actually doesn't use her master's, but she still connects with that side of her. And she's into like the Enneagram and stuff and which I actually love too. But um, I would have to say too, my experiences I think have brought me to this field as well. Like I was teased in school growing up and when I was 12, my parents divorced suddenly. And I'm sure that had a bigger impact on me than I knew. And after we had moved, I was sexually assaulted. So there were like very distinct things that I had been through that I think 
just brought me to this, you know, the depth of where my humanness could go in, Mm -hmm. in the other direction, not in the joyful direction. And I just knew like, I need, I want to help people. I need to help people. They call us sometimes the wounded healers. I think that's true for a lot of us. I've worked through a lot of my stuff. I still work through it. I go to therapy, but I just knew my own experiences too in therapy. Like um, I developed panic attacks when I was really young and I had them for a long time. And it wasn't until I went to a counselor that was amazing. And I'm so lucky I found her is that it can be really hard to find a good counselor or a counselor you fit with that my whole life changed. And so I think that was part of also why like someone met me with warmth and empathy and skills too, but it was really that experience of sitting with someone who could just listen and didn't judge me at all, at least not that I know of, that changed my life. So I'm like, I'm gonna give that to people. So I think it was a lot of things poured into one, you know, big bucket. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That I, that, I mean, that, that was so touching and it also, cause you're, you're speaking about it so beautifully and it's bringing to mind oh. this, just this, this, okay. Let me gather my thoughts this wild, insane experience that we all have as human beings, that when we're in the situation, we, our minds are going, you know, a million miles a minute. And we have this trauma that happens to us, you know, from all different sides, it could be a million different things, like some of the things that you listed. And then by the time we're in session with folks, we're able to speak about it in a way that's calm and mindful. Mm -hmm. And every now and then that might give off the feeling that we have always been calm and mindful about it. (laughs) So right. then it's also our responsibility to let them know like, hey, no, your your intense anger is normal. Your intense fear is normal. You're responding appropriately. Let's get you mm-hmm. to a place where you don't feel as hijacked by it because hijacked, when you get hijacked, it's another way of you being violated and it's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying let's get you to the point where you're a therapist yourself, but I'm saying let's get you to a point where you are in charge. And yeah. 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 I think knowing how some of that feels can be helpful. And I, uh, I get um, comments from people, clients and aside that tell me you just have such a calming presence. And I'm like, do I? Because sometimes I just feel like everything's going wild, but I guess I pre- present as really calm, which is really great as an anxiety professional, yeah. but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of wild to think of of like what people see versus what can actually be happening, but yeah. Yeah. So speaking all the, of all these still not to be named careers, because we don't acknowledge them. (laughs) What are people's, what are people's reactions when you tell them what you do for a living? Oh, (laughs) um, I've had, you know, the, the typical, are you analyzing me? Can you read what? my mind? It just, it, sorry, the it boggles exact my line mind. we get from everyone. I know. Why people think we would be doing that. Like, I know. Are you going to pay me for a session? Then yeah, I will. 
but yeah. like it's a uh, sorry <laughs> I, just, no, I, I, I reached my limit of people <laughs> I know I think part of that might be movies I don't know like people just have these ideas yeah. about that we're just walking around analyzing everybody like no yeah, I'm really just everything. grabbing my groceries today Susan I'm just making up a name but like <laughs> sometimes um I actually got this from my professor sometimes when people ask like are you analyzing me I'll be like well do you work outside of work like what do you do mm-hmm. or do you do construction okay do you want to do construction work right now for for me at home no you don't so I don't want to put on my clinical brain right now and analyze you but I'm having thoughts about you. <laughs> they might Especially be ch- now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. So sometimes though, people say, oh, that's so awesome. We need more people like you, or that's such a great prof- profession. And I'm thankful for those statements. Um, Cause it's like, you know, if someone says they're a nurse, they get a lot of appreciation. It's like, oh, that's such a great profession and so hard. And not that I think the whole world, you know, needs to just come acknowledge everybody, but it just kind of speaks to the stigmas that society holds about our profession and the misconceptions. And it's, it gets kind of annoying to constantly have to respond to that. I agree. We're, we're all kind of in a trap, you know, because therapists and social workers will encounter that. Like, I mean, social workers have even worse stigma around them too, because of case management, but we have this like threat of like, you're coming into my head, like what, <laughs> get out of my brain. But, and then nurses, yeah. they get a lot of gratitude, but as soon as they ask for oh. something, it's then like, mm-hmm. well, it's the same thing we get, like get back yeah. in your place, you know, no, you can't unionize. Right. No, you can't have higher what you cannot have more staff. Like it, as soon as we all do even show like a thread of self-advocacy, it's immediately rejected. And that's a yeah. nice, it's a nice thing we all have in common. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, we appreciate you, but only in your small little box. So please stay there. Yeah. Which is shocking that it's, you know, fields that are dominated by like women and non-binary and BIPOC right. individuals. That's not mm-hmm. a coincidence. <laughs> right. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. I'm glad Sorry. Joanna I'm glad I'm, that you reacted like, like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you saw me like mouthing well, things along with you. Because <laughs> every one gives that answer. And every time we're like a little more... <laughs> And can, this we, time can we like sky so that was this? Good. like no we're not reading your mind <laughs> oh jesus that's awesome therapy you. would be Beautiful so response. much quicker if we could read your minds yeah like do you yeah. want a referral then is this what you're telling me <laughs> like why aren't you comforting me because you think i'm a mind reader my life would be horrible <laughs> yeah that would be terrible Ugh. i watched i watched true blood I know what's sticking with her. It was a burden, not a gift. Uh, anyway, uh, switching gears anyway. again, whatever the noise is. <laughs> How has your identity, either racial, ethnic, sexuality, gender, etc., helped or hindered your practice? Oh, such a good question. Well, 
it depends on who I'm with, who I sit with. If it's, you know, I'm, I identify white cisgender female. Um, and if I have the same, you know, self, they always self-identify across from me as that, then usually that's helpful. They feel like they're seeing someone that's like them. But if it's someone that's, you know, different color, identifies differently, I think then I don't necessarily know if, well, I have to ask if that's hindering us. First of all, I usually ask like, what's it like to have a white counselor if you're black or if you, what's it like to have a straight counselor if you identify as like gay or lesbian or trans or whatever. And we have conversations about that from the beginning because if we don't talk about it, I guarantee that will be hindered in some way. But sometimes it's just a hindrance in itself because people want to meet with people who they feel are like them. And especially in those areas where they're already oppressed in some way, or they're already feeling like, okay, here's, here's just another person that's not like me. And I think that totally matters. I think like, I was thinking about this. Um, we specialize in things and people come to us for those things like trauma or anxiety or um, like couples counseling or whatever. But even if we do identify with our trauma, sometimes typically we help people move away from that. But your identity, you know, whatever you identify as like black or Asian American or, um, you know, lesbian or whatever it is that's yeah that's your identity that's not going to change so it makes sense that people want someone that has that lived experience and can just kind of I mean the, the assumption is you immediately understand at least something about what that's like even if the experiences might be a little bit different so I think it's hard in this area though there it's it's difficult because like I said we're in a rural area a lot of conservative mindsets and there aren't a lot of counselors around here and there aren't a lot of people that are understanding about those those types of issues and and what that's like for people so I don't know there's just not a lot of choices for people I think at least here. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I think it's super important to also like say for folks, like you're saying, like there's, you're not going to have a lot of options here. And, and we know that being the minority in any group can also result in a lot of like internalized stigma about the group that you're a member of or, Mm -hmm. So even like helping with that and letting them know that that's a reality and that that could be something they're dealing with, um, mm -hmm. but not forcing it on them, just painting it as this, as a situation that is macro level, like the, it is how this is in this area, but it's not like this everywhere. So how do you want to feel about yourself? Yes. Yeah, oh, that's, that's such great. a good point. Mm -hmm. It isn't like that everywhere. Mm -hmm. How do you approach self-care 
Um, I approach it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's like I have in my bio, Netflix and video gaming. That can be important. I know what I need when I need it. And sometimes it's Zelda. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was going to ask you what video games, so I'm glad that you oh, said it. So. Nine, I'm a 90s <laughs> kid. I loved Zelda, Mario, all the old school mm-hmm. games. And Super Nintendo N64, that was totally my jam. And <gasps> I still have an N64. Unfortunately, my TV doesn't work with it. So oh, I no. download like a emulator online. Yeah. But still... I, love I was going to say there are pretty good emulators on the switch now. Um, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I do some of that. And then um, when it's nicer out outside, I'll try to get out and get some sunshine. I used to not really like being in the sunshine, but it does sometimes get really hot here. And I still don't like that. And my skin burns really easily, but um Getting outside, something I do, but really my, the bulk of my self-care is how I speak to myself. That comes with a lot of work and self-awareness and shame work and stuff like that. And the boundaries I put up for myself and with other people. So that may look like I'm really introverted, so I need a lot of alone time. But sometimes that's like, if I need to cancel plans, I'll cancel plans or just knowing, like, I know maybe this sounds exciting right now for me to do like three social things in a row, but I know when I get to it, I'm not going to feel that way. So I Mm -hmm. intentionally make sure like I'm separating things so that I have time to recuperate (laughs) and recover, um, because I just really need that for myself and especially for the work that I do because I am sitting with people and that takes a lot of energy and um, just need more alone time because of that. So, yeah. And then connecting with people. I make myself connect with people sometimes. Like I love to be alone, but I know I need some people time too, just to kind of escape from everything that is the world. Indeed. That story I told about, or that example I gave of not being hard on yourself for being hard on yourself for being on Instagram. I mean, that was like, that actually happened to me like a couple months ago (laughs) and I had to have that conversation in my own therapy. So having your self-care be about the way you speak to each other is just Mm -hmm. like, like chef's kiss. It's such a perfect approach to Mm self-care. Because it's like, instead of having that internal bully, not only are you taking away that bully, but you're also adding in like a kick-ass little tiny version of you that's just being mm-hmm. very cool and affirming. And it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen Neff is really like the person that has pioneered the self-compassion world for me. And mm-hmm. she's a mom too. And I'm a mom. So a lot of that can come up in momness, just how we treat ourselves and in terms of how we parent and what comes up in parenting, which is just a, a lot. So I think self-compassion does help um, more 
more and more effectively than beating yourself up. I love Kristen F. Just kristenf.com yeah. for everyone. <laughs> She's in the It's a resource. Mm-hmm. 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 What's something about yourself that would surprise us and our listeners? Oh, something about myself. Um, oh, I think when I looked at this question, when you gave it to me earlier, I was going to say that I'm a video gamer. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, not surprised anymore. <laughs> no, but not, not a surprise anymore. I, I don't know if this would come as a surprise, but um, I definitely have like an obsession with cats. I'm probably crazy cat lady and I don't care. So, I mean, I, um, I've just had cats my whole life. They as an introvert, I think too, I just connect with animals easily and cats are very easy. You can, they kind of just do their own thing. And of course you have to clean up after them, which is the really sucky part, but mm-hmm. they're just um, amazing little creatures, but I don't know if that's a surprise. <laughs> I think a lot of people are cat people. So well, I like to bond with other cat people because I'm definitely a cat person. <laughs> you know, yes. both of my cats have different personalities. Well, they already do have different personalities, but like I give them different personalities. They have different <laughs> accents. That's um, amazing. Most of the artwork in our home is <laughs> dedicated to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I have a yeah, whole cat wall. Awesome. <laughs> That's the best. They're the best. And you're right. Like they, we do have to clean up after them, but it's in like one concentrated area most of the time and you don't have to walk them. Oh, they're the best. And they clean themselves. I love that. The best. Mm -hmm. All right. So besides Kristen Neff, are there any resources you feel like everyone should know about? Oh, well, just to go right alongside Kristen Neff, Renee Brown. Yeah. She's She's amazing. Um, I remember back when I was in therapy before grad school, my therapist had recommended uh, Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. And I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this TED Talk. I think it was the very first TED Talk that I've ever, that I had ever watched. And I almost like, you know, three minutes into it or something was grabbing my notebook. I was like taking notes. I was this is an amazing video. And then I watched listening to shame. And, um, then she came out with another Ted talk that was about critics. I can't remember the name of it, but something about critics and, um, you know, how to deal with critics in your life. And then of course she has so many books out now and she has a podcast, two podcasts, I think unlocking us and dare to lead. And she, she just embodies what it is to really understand people and to understand issues. And um, she just stands for a lot of the things that I think are important in the world. And I always recommend her to clients. I mean, I don't, I don't know that, well, there's some people I don't recommend her to just because it's a different type of issue, but Mm -hmm. almost everyone like you, 
might benefit from checking out Brene Brown. And people have the same reaction to her videos. They love her, so yeah. I agree. That's all I must say. <laughs> yes. <sighs> Absolutely. All right. Are we ready for our final question? Our final would you rather See. question? Okay. Would you rather live to be a thousand years old or live to be a hundred for 10 lives? <laughs> oh my gosh. This is so hard. I wasn't expecting this. Um, uh-huh. A thousand years old or a hundred ten times. I'd have to say a thousand because, well, do other people get to live with me a thousand years or am I going to just watch everyone die? I think you're going to watch everyone die. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) This is so sad. No, a hundred, a hundred years, 10 times. (laughs) I, I couldn't, I would not want to go on for that long after watching everyone I know die. How awful that would be. Yeah. Yeah, not to bring true blood up again. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why Zuki didn't want to be a vampire. I have not watched that show recently. It's there's no reason why I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Joanna, I know that you're the the rule maker and breaker <laughs> of these questions. Would I remember my lifetimes if I think so, yes. But so like if I'm like fourteen, am I gonna have like the same am I gonna have like inside of a one hundred year old? I mean that's like I guess so, yeah. I so I've done this I've done this question with teens and it it sparked a lot of debate of like, okay, can you remember? And we all agreed like you could remember the ten the ten different lives, but it's also like you would have to go through middle school ten times. Right, right. Um, so I think I'll go with living to be a thousand as long as my body is like slowly aging, not like, <laughs> not like a thousand year old body. You know what I mean? Like as long as it's progressing. Like creepy fingers or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be yeah. cool. Yeah, I think by like birthday nine hundred, I'd be like, okay, everybody's gone, but <laughs> you know, I'm not. No. <laughs> as usual, neither or one thousand years. <laughs> I think I would go with the, the ten, the ten lives, uh, just to get a bunch of different experiences. I would like be so good at middle school by the time ten rolls around, it'd be like, watch mm-hmm. out! I'm yeah. already like, yeah, it could be like fable, like one version you're the the evil person, yeah. and then in another version you're like the hero, and then in another one you're not either of those. Just I'm just imagining mm-hmm. the middle school thing. Like you're so good at it that you know exactly what people are going to come at you with already. And you're just like saying <laughs> as they're saying it. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah. What? And, and then remember to put my shoulders back and walk <laughs> tall. It's okay yeah. that I'm taller than lit- literally everybody, including some teachers. It's fine. Just stand up tall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's like, you're such an don't soul pluck your eyebrows. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) If I could just do high school over again with what I know now, I'd be so good. It'd be so good. Yeah. Yeah, but you'd be good for like reasons that 
current you would be like, oh, Joanna, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Like you'd go in doing like very unethical things in order to survive. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm just imagining like your origin story. <laughs> you becoming like a joker during your sixth, your sixth turn at turning 100. Like none of this matters anymore. <laughs> and watch the world burn. Yeah. I'll be here for 100 years. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Awesome>. Anyway. Um. <laughs> All right, Kayleen, thank you so much for joining us. It was such yeah. a pleasure. It was a pleasure too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where can people find you and what do you want people to know about you? Internet wise. Um, <laughs> so they can, philosophically, they can find me. whatever you can <laughs> It's anything. Yeah. Um, they can find me at on Instagram at Innercent Counseling and then Facebook Intercent Counseling LLC, or if they want to go to my website, it's um, intercentcounseling.com. So pretty much the same thing all across. Mm-hmm. I don't have right, anything philosophically well, we... to add to that. <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. We don't need an inspirational quote, but I mean, it would have been great. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us. I, I had a great time. I love hearing that there's people you know, in different parts of the country fighting against shame. So please mm. keep doing the good fight. We should yeah. like make an army. You guys too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, that'd do. be the best army. Yeah. I agree. Be yeah. like the most compassionate <laughs> army ever. Oh, <laughs> it'd be wonderful. Only. Yes. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this show. Be sure to subscribe slash rate slash review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at TNDPod, on Twitter at TNDPod number one. One is in the number one, which I just <laughs> said. Or visit our website at TNDPodcast.com. You should really check out our Patreon uh, not just you, Sarah, everybody. Um, Thank you. It's got some really cool new things added to it. Um, and if you would like to support us, we would love to have you there. And that is uh, patreon.com slash TND podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, uh, if you want to be on the show, uh, our email is therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. That's therapist plural next door at gmail.com. Sarah, is there anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, tndpodcast.com or patreon.com forward slash tndpodcast. We need your support. We love doing this, but it is work. Please support us. Thank you. Also, Teletherapy with Sarah on Instagram, uh, teletherapywithsarah.com. I write blog posts twice a month about working, uh, living as a working class slash professional millennial. Also, I coach therapists who have been exploited, helping them to open their own private practices mindfully and without shame that's it joanna what about you pluggies um yeah i guess i would want to plug the show yellow jackets i'm just like using this to plug all the Mm. things i like uh it's on showtime it's really good it's a little gory um but it's fantastic i'm sad that i have to wait for another season Mm. this is what happens when you binge things um 
And my therapy practice is orianatherapy.com. Uh, and yeah, also tndpodcast.com because it's this podcast. Also, I want to plug Murdoch Mysteries, but yes. until next time, <laughs> we, we are, are your, your therapists. therapists. Next. Next. Door. Bye. Bye. <laughs>